So, so today, God chooses Gideons. We're, we're talking from the, um, the, the passage in Judges where, where we, we see that God selects a man that you just wouldn't think would be the guy that he would choose. I want to say before I go on with the sermon that this sermon series was inspired by a book called How God Makes Men by Patrick Morley. I do this for the sake of integrity because we're, we're following some character studies about men he did in here. The thing I didn't like about this title is this book is so good, it's for every believer, not just men. Uh, um, but we've added some, some women in our series as well. We're not going completely from it, but for the sake of, of, um, of letting everybody know that this book is... Uh, has a great deal to do with the series we're on right now. And I would recommend it, especially to the guys, How God Makes Men by Patrick Morley. You're looking for something to inspire you. I think uh, the Lord did a good work when he wrote that through him. So today we're looking at Gideon. And um, it, it was a harsh and brutal time that he lived in. The Midianites were dominating the Israelites. Seven years, they were bullying them. They'd basically come in and if they had crops, they'd take them. They took anything they wanted, and, and, and um, unbelievably, the people of God were overtaken by these pagans, and they were dominated, ravaged, impoverished, and, and they had turned their back against God. For seven years, the Midianites had, had dominated them. Now, I think it's important to see the correlation in the Bible. When we turn away from the Lord, we cause ourselves trouble. Um, the Israelites had followed God. They had many leaders that followed God. But every time they turned away from him, I think of it this way. It's not necessarily that he wants to punish his children. But if his children choose to do life without him, he removes his covering. He says, all right, if you want to do it on your own, we'll let you do it on your own. And then what happened here when they wanted to do it on their own is they started to they started to raise up Asherah poles and started to serve other gods and went completely away from them. He said, you go completely away from me, then I'll, then I'll withdraw my presence, and they're dominated. Now, I think that can speak to our lives, that we can come to points in our lives where we've forgotten about God and we're not following Him. Where we're doing it our own way, and our own way has gone astray, and we're wondering, why aren't things going well? And sometimes we say, God, where are you? And I I wonder if God wouldn't speak back to us sometimes the same thing. Where are you? I'm over here. Where are you? You're, you're doing your own thing. And they were doing their own thing. And it was, it was costing them. But as God so graciously does every time when they started to pray and say, God, help us, he showed up. He's so amazing no matter how many mistakes we've made, no matter how bad we've messed up, if we'll humble ourselves he shows up to touch us, to love us, and to help us. And they started to pray. They're dominated by these people, overrun. And, and God said, okay, I'm coming. And he decided to choose a leader to help bring them out, as he so often does. He didn't pick the most powerful leader among the nation. It wasn't, he didn't come out of the political structure. Gideon wasn't a pedigreed man. He wasn't from the city's first families. He wasn't a recognized holy man or a priest. He wasn't a great warrior in the military or a rising star in business. Instead, he chose Gideon, who probably was the most unexpected choice in the nation. Let's pray. Father, I ask that your Holy Spirit would reveal to us that you choose people and you choose us. 
Lord, we, we know we can't accomplish great things, but when we believe you can, you, you will work through humble people. I pray that you'd show up today to touch your servants and cause them to see how good you are and how much you want to bless them. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. First point, God chooses unexpected leaders. Gideon is the weakest man from the weakest clan. Here he is. We, we see him when we, we, we come on the scene here. He's hiding like a refugee in a wine press because the Midianites will swoop in and take your food, right? They, they just come across that border and take it. So he took an old wine press and he took his wheat in there and he's threshing it in there, hiding from the enemy just to save a little bit so perhaps at night he takes it out and gives it to his family so they can have food. Barely making it and a guy who's afraid. And here he, he comes you know, in, into play here and, and as this is the scene, then it happened. Let's look at Judges 6. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in the Ophrah that belonged to Joash, the Abizrite, or Abizrite, uh, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in the winepress to keep it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, and he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Here's this guy afraid, hanging, and he's hanging out. And I love what the New Living Translation says. The Lord is with you, mighty hero. You know, when God puts his hand on somebody, whoever it is, he can make a mighty hero out of them. And he was about to do this. But sir, Gideon replied, we see his reluctance, but we also see humility in the things he says. He said, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt, but now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian? And the Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? God has chosen the weakest man from the weakest clan. But Lord Gideon said, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites together. Now the Midianites have over 100,000 soldiers. And Israel doesn't really have an army anymore because they've driven them uh, in, in, into weakness and broken down all their systems. And here's the guy who's hiding and weak and afraid, and he says to God, surely not me. I like this thought. We see ourselves as we are, but God sees us as we're going to be. I think of when he said to Peter, who are you? And he said, you will be the rock. Do you remember how he, he put that crown above his head and, and, and he grew into it? And I, I, I think of, of you and me and our children. And often we'll speak to things that aren't going well. We need to be careful about that because we make people think, you're, we're, you know, you're just not quite measuring up. If, if we keep speaking the negative to our kids about work ethic or whatever it is, if you speak the negative, they're going to think, they don't think I do things well. I'm not good enough. But if you tell them what they can be, and that's putting a crown. I like to say it this way. Put a crown a few inches above their heads and watch them grow into it. This is what it means. They're not there yet. But with God's help, when God shows up, any one of us can be used of him to do great and wonderful things. So you say to them, you say to others, you say to believers, the Lord is with you. I see this in your life. I believe the Lord can use you greatly. 
I see a heart. Whatever it is you're seeing, speak the positive. You know what I found about almost every encounter I'm in when I know some, some people for a little while? I can almost always find a good and positive thing to say to them about themselves. I can just see it. I can feel it. I can discern it. And, and God wants us to speak the good things. Just think of that in life. What, what kind of teacher are you? If you're, if you're at a public uh, school, uh, elementary school, what kind of teacher are you? Do you? What if you put a crown a few inches above their heads? You know, the, the, most, the, the, the least expected one could be the one. When I think of children's church up there right now, you know, we might not see the, the, the young man who comes in who, who has a broken home and, and who's causing trouble and says a curse word. And, you know, sometimes we think, oh, our kids are around that. And, but, but listen, God sometimes chooses the one that we would least expect. And he'll show up and touch a young life. And that, that life will make a difference incredibly in this world for people in God's kingdom. Let's put a crown a few inches above each other's heads and, wa- and watch them grow, watch each other grow into it. He said, mighty hero. When it comes to leadership, humility is required. And one of the things we see as a characteristic, and it's one of the main reasons I believe that God chose Gideon, is he was humble. He said, really, not me. Surely there's someone better. Here's the principle to me. God chooses people who knows they can't do it, but he can. You can't do it when it comes to these mighty things, but he can. And that's the thought. I remember years ago, um, I, I, I was uh, the recipient of a wonderful new job in Salem as a, child, uh, I'm sorry, a youth pastor at the People's Church. It was at the time one of the largest churches in the state for the Assemblies of God. And uh, there were great people there, a great pastor. I felt so privileged to work there. And I couldn't believe that I got the job. I met a young man later that week. And he didn't know it, but I knew that he had candidated for the same position. And he said to me, I know some people who candidated for that job. He said, I was really surprised you got the job. Now, now this guy had the spirit of cool on him, right? God can use cool, but he can't use the spirit of cool, right? He uses cool people. But, but the spirit of cool is, is all about look and feel and vibe and, and surface, right? And, and I, I love this guy, but, you, you know, when he said, I was surprised you got the job, I said, you know, I was pretty surprised myself. I feel very, very fortunate. And I thought about saying, you know, I know you candidated too, but I just thought, no, because he's right. He's right. I'm, I'm not the likely candidate. I just, I'm privileged. I'm privileged to be here. God chooses people who know that it takes him, that they're not going to get it done. I remember going in that parking lot and there were th- probably 3,000 there for Easter, the first Sunday I showed up. The parking lot was jammed. It looked like the mall, you know, just this huge parking lot all the way to the main road. And I said, oh, Lord, I can't do this. And that's, that's it. That's it. When you know I can't do this and you need God, he shows up. As Moses said, if you don't go, Lord, I don't want to go. Do you remember when Moses said that? If you don't show up, I, I need your presence or, or I don't want to go. And Gideon has that humble feel about him. And we need to remember that. And that's what makes you a candidate. You may not be the most likely person that someone would choose, but when you have humility and you know it takes him, you're a candidate that he could choose. First Peter 5, all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. 
And that was one of the reasons Gideon was chosen, that humble spirit. And he knew that he would have to have God's help to get this done. Second point today, God uses the people he chooses, you know, the ones he selects, he gives them directions and asks them to trust him. Now that's pretty simple. God just simply showed up and gave Gideon his marching orders. Simple orders. Go in the strength you have and save Israel of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Gideon needed reassurance, a fleece that he put before the Lord at one point. Uh, but in verse 13, he said, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened? There you see reluctance. But in verse 17, he says, if now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it's really you talking to me. And I, I just want to say something here about vision for a moment. Um, I, it's, it's good to have vision in your life. And, it, and you can choose a good vision that is a God direction. But I don't recommend it just, just grabbing something that's a good direction and going with it. What I would recommend is a prayerful season where you figure out what God wants you to do and he gives you his vision. It's one thing to have vision. It's another thing to have God's vision. And, and, and the main thing for our lives, here's what the Bible says, the steps of a righteous person are ordered of the Lord. Young lady, God has already ordered your steps. He loves you. He's got a plan for your life. And we have to seek him to find it at times. It's, it's like, it's like most Christians go through life telling God, I'd like for you to join me. Join me in my direction where I'm going. But the real thought is God is saying, I'd like you to join me. Let me show you the way to go and then I'll bless that. Don't ask God to bless what you're doing. Do what he's blessing. That's the principle. And so we seek him and here, here he wants to make sure that he's on track with God's vision for his life. And he says, if now I found favor, give me a sign. You know, God's so wonderful, he will reassure us. Some of you have specific calls in your life. Others of you are going to get a very specific call from God. It might be an act in a moment that's, that's righteous and wonderful to bless people. It, it, it might be something that the Lord says, I want you to give to a person, a family, a ministry, whatever it is. But, but, but God will speak to all of us at times to do something great that will be a catalyst for his kingdom. Others of you are, are, are going to receive as you go forward a vision that comes from the Lord. And, and as, you, as you receive this word, it's okay to say to God, would you clarify this for me? Are you sure? I don't know. Doesn't seem right to me. That's okay to say to God as long as you're really asking him, is this what you want me to do? Because if it is, I'd like you to, to just reassure me and show me. And he delights to do that. We see it in the fleece, but I, normally people concentrate on that in this sermon. But I want to concentrate on this piece that sometimes is skipped in the story. The angel of the Lord, God said to him, take the meat, he, he's asking for reassurance, and the unleavened bread, place them on this rock and pour out the broth. And Gideon did so. With the tip of the staff that was in his hand, the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread. Now let's, let's take note that these next words are really weird. This stuff just doesn't, it doesn't just happen. Fire flared from the rock, consuming the meat and bread. It's like, whoa! Whoa! It's gone! Some powers in this place. God's saying, see, bud, I'm with you. I'm with you. The angel of the Lord disappeared. 
And then Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord. He exclaimed, Ah, sovereign Lord, I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace, do not be afraid. You are not going to die. Now, it may seem trivial to us when we hear that, but he's going up against a powerful army with over 100,000 soldiers. And there's no Israelite army. And he's being called to call the people of Israel together. They don't know him. And he's, he's not someone that they would choose. So it's a little bit weird. And God's asking him to go attack this army eventually. But God's saying, listen, don't worry. You're not going to die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it the Lord is peace. To this day it stands. Verse 25, that same night the Lord said to him, take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old. Now here's where it gets hard. Because they've, they've, they've erected other gods and, and they're serving other gods, the Asherah poles, and his dad was serving this other god and other gods. And you know, when people put these things up, they cost money to put up, and they're serving their god, and they get mad, and your own people might kill you for doing this. He's afraid, and he does it in the night. But here's what the Lord says. Tear down your father's altars to Baal, and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God, on the top of this height, using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down, offer the second bull as a burnt offering. So Gideon took 10 of his servants and did as the Lord told him. Now that line, did as the Lord told him, is the key to the whole story. If that doesn't happen, if he doesn't make the move that God tells him to make, then he's out and someone else is in. Now I have this deep conviction that there are a lot of people that can do this job as well or better than me that the Lord's called me to do. None of us are irreplaceable. God's looking for someone who's available, like Gideon, but who will act when he tells them to. So my job isn't to try to be impressive. My job is to seek the Lord, to find his will, and to do my best to follow wherever he says to go. That's really the call of all of our, all of our lives. And I, I have a question about your life. When you gave your life to God, did you really give your life to God? Is he in charge? Can he direct you? Can he say anything he wants you to do, any direction, any city, any job, any place? Did you really give your life to God? Now, I'm not saying he'll call you today, but he's going to call you to do things. And sometimes it may not seem like the thing to do. It didn't to Gideon. I mean, Gideon, as you look closer into this story, he, he must have wondered whether God was good at math. Because the odds were bad, right? And yet, when he heard from God, he was encouraged by God, he did it. He did the thing God asked him to do. Now, when does God show up in your life powerfully? When he tells you what to do, and you move. Right here, right here, the first step. Go do it, Gideon, right there. Boom! God shows up. This is the principle of faith. I'm asking you to do something. Live for me. Be willing to die for me. Go, here it is, here's the, and bam, you take the step, and he shows up to show you that he's real, he's powerful, he's with you. There's two words in the New Testament when talking about the Greek. One of them is, N-E-N -E -N in the Greek, and the other is epi, E-P-I, which is upon. 
So the New Testament will say that the Holy Spirit is in you. The Holy Spirit's in all people who know Jesus as their personal Savior. But to have the Holy Spirit in you is not exactly the same thing as having the Holy Spirit upon you. And that's why there's in and epi. Holy Spirit in, Holy Spirit upon. The Holy Spirit upon would be the Lord calling at a certain time you to do something. You take the step and bam, he shows up and puts his spirit upon you. That means power to get the job done. Power beyond your own. Power to complete the task. Power to go the distance and to, and to, to do on this journey what he's called you to do. Look at verse 34 now. He takes the step. Then the spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. There it is. Not just in upon. And he blew a trumpet, summoning, and all the people came to follow. Verse 35, he sent messengers throughout Manasseh, calling them to arms, also to Asher, Zebulun, Naphtali. So they too went up to meet them. Unbelievably, the weakest man from the weakest clan follows God, and when they blow the trumpet, 30,000 men show up for Gideon. How does Gideon, that dynamic leader, get 30,000 people? It ain't happening in his own skin, with his own power. He followed God. And when he followed God, God backed him, and God said, I'm going to do it. I've chosen you. God will back you when he calls you to do something. I'm going to share a few stories here. And if, if I'm not careful, if you're not careful, it, 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 it could sound like I'm arrogant and, and taking credit for these things, but I, I humbly say that none of this would have happened unless the Lord did it. But I've seen the Lord show up a few times in my life when he's called me to do things. Over and over, I've seen it. When I was a district youth director for the Assemblies of God, I felt the Lord was calling me to reach out to the public high schools of Oregon and do ministry. Calling me and ministers, young youth pastors, to do it. And as I researched it, I had ministers around the nation telling me, don't do it. Because uh, they won't let you do it in Oregon. You can't, that, that's the place where, where people are least likely to follow God. I get so tired of that baloney. Almost used the C word. That's my big cuss word. I almost used it right there. I get so, so tired of that. Come on, like, like God is not in the Northwest. Like he looks over here and says, whoa, that's a little too tough for ministry there. I'm going to go do it over here. Come on, God is God. God's in charge. I have a question for you. Do you really think the Supreme Court's in charge? That decision has, has, has uh, put us on our seats, so many Christians. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Of course homosexuality is sin. The Bible says it is. And God wants all believers to forsake sin. Does God love homosexuals? God loves everybody. And here's what I'm going to do as we go forward. I'm going to love those people. And I'm going to reach out to them in love. I want to walk with them and talk to them. But I'm going to preach the truth about repentance of all sin. Because the Supreme Court's not in charge. You know, I like what, I like what, um, what one person said, a, a preacher. He said, these are the days of glorious darkness. And, and this is what that means. Why are you surprised that our nation's moving away from God? We've been doing that for a long time. And God said, in the, in the last days, hearts will wax cold. Uh, the very elect will be deceived. They, they'll go the wrong direction, but stay close to me. And he said to me as a preacher in 2 Timothy 
uh, chapter 4 that preached the truth. And he said, you're going to be persecuted for the truth. He told me I'd be persecuted. This is the times of glorious darkness where it's going to usher in the coming of Jesus Christ. Things are going to get worse before they get better in the world. And eventually Jesus is coming back. So he, I'm not afraid. What? I'm not afraid of the Supreme Court. Listen, I, one thing I'm grateful for, but this is not the first time they've legislated sin, by the way, right? Because abortion, the same thing. And, 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 you know, but they don't tell us to sin. I, I'm grateful for that. They're not telling us that we must do this. Uh, so, so they're just giving permission to people. Okay, but here's what I do. I just preach the gospel. And I just preach the truth. And I go forward. And I love people. And let those chips fall where they may. Because listen, God's in charge. Our president's not in charge. Supreme Court's not in charge. The supreme captain is in charge. And his name is Jesus Christ. And so I don't want to be mean-spirited towards anybody. But I know who he is. And I know he's in charge. And I think Gideon knew that he was in charge. So when they said, well, you can't reach out in this state, we said, well, let's give it a whirl because we think God wants us to. And 60 Bible clubs later in public high schools in Oregon, clubs that were running from 20 to 300. In some cases, I went to the gym in a public high school and saw 300 kids at a Bible study glorifying God. We saw scores of assemblies. People said it couldn't happen. Well, if God tells you to do it, let me tell you something. If you'll move, it can happen. If it's his vision, because he loves people, he wants to reach people, it can happen. And those assemblies, in scores of cities in Oregon, we would do a moral topic um, in the assembly that talked about sexuality or bullying or, 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 or uh, you, you know, drugs or whatever, just a positive uh, message to the kids. And then we'd invite them out to a church locally in the evening to hear about Jesus Christ. And honest to goodness, over 2,000 students came to Jesus Christ. Who's in charge? Who's in charge? You know, they told us, you can't get a permit for this property. Really, who's in charge? Is the state in charge? Is the city in charge? Now listen, I respect authority. Don't get me wrong. I respect it. And I and I work through the avenues. But But I know who's in charge. And we all need to know who's in charge ultimately. And if we really have his word and we're following him, he'll do it. God said, I want to increase this church. I want to build a high school to glorify my name. Others said, you can't build. You can't find 40 acres because it'd have to be in the urban growth boundary. And, 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 and I remember when he told us to, to, to look for that place. I mean, there was a day when we didn't have this 40 acres and we were praying for God to give us 40 acres. And Christians and businessmen and city people told us won't happen because it would take it would take three hundred thousand dollars an acre to buy acreage in the urban growth boundary. That's twelve million dollars, and the county commissioner told me not even God or the Pope could help you get that much money or that much land. Well, and Pastor John was with me. I said, "Oh, you shouldn't have said that because God's going to have to show you." And He did, and here we are. I think of Tim and Serena Howell. Some of you know them. Wonderful people here among us. Really, Tim was a Gideon at one point when God spoke to him. He's already busy doing some work for the Lord. And God showed him the void from royal family kids camps being done at 12, ministering to foster children, neglected, abandoned, and, and, and abused. 
Royal Family Kids Camp comes alongside, pulls them into camps, loves them, has counselors, show them who Jesus is, and then has people who, who would uh, care about those people as they go through their life. But at 12 years old, that was done. And Tim and Serena looked at that and said, wow, we can't just drop these foster children at 12 years old. We got we to take them through high school. So they started Hope Unlimited. And this was about a decade ago. No camps. Royal Family Kids Camps had 300. They got Wayne... Uh, Tesh's permission from Royal Family. It's a different ministry, but he said, if you pick it up from there, that's great. Today, after doing what the Lord says, they have over 50 camps that will function this summer and 70 camps next summer with 3,000 volunteers reaching out to those 12 to 17-year-old foster children. I'm going to tell you what happened. God said to Tim, I want you to go, and Tim made a move, and Serena said, let's do it. And God showed up and started ministering to kids. It's the heart of God to love people, to love those kids that this world doesn't love. I'm so proud of Tim and Serena because they could have said, you know, we're, we're already busy about your work. You know, we've already got lots of stuff to do. You know, that'd be hard because we've got girls we're raising. But they said, yes, and the Lord has done it. Romans 8, 14, the true children of God are those who let God's spirit lead them. And he leads you, and there'll come a moment, if you're following for his purposes, that he'll come upon you and great things will happen. Last thought, we're kind of all over it already. God uses our weakness to show his strength and glory. Why does he wait till the 11th hour? Because he wants to show you who's doing it. You're praying, you're praying, God, where are you, where are you, 11th hour? It looks like he ends up, bam, he shows up. He did it, it's God, and we give him more credit when it's the 11th hour. Why does he use someone weak like Gideon? Because he's showing them it's really him. Why would he choose someone weak like us? Because he works through weak people all the time to show his strength. He doesn't want there to be any confusion about who's doing the delivering for the children of Israel. It's not Gideon, it's him. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many Men for me to deliver Midian into their hands. And then let me, I'll just shorten it up here a little bit for time's sake. But you can see here, he says, let those who are afraid leave. And there have 30,000 who gathered, 20,000 said, I think I'd rather be home and safe. So they left. 10,000 left. God said, too many. Here's where Gideon must have wondered about God's maps. Too many people to reach those 130,000 Midianites. We need to narrow it more. When they go down to the water, the ones that lap with their hands, keep them. Uh, the ones that don't, send them away. And there were only 300 that were chosen that, that were bringing the water up with their hand. So he took it from 30,000 down to 300, and God says, this is the right number. These are the odds I like because I'm about to show who I am and that I'm with the people of Israel. They go to war. They stand outside the camp. They blow the trumpets, 300 men, not 30,000. The soldiers get confused, the Midianites. I said the Mennonites in the second service, but, but they're, they're wonderful people. It's the Midianites that are bad. That are bad. And, and they, they, they destroyed, they de the Midianites destroyed each other. Did you know that God can win a battle where you don't even have to fight? He just shows up and does it sometimes if you'll follow him. And they fought each other, killing each other. They started running down the road. Then Gideon called to other soldiers, come in now. And they chased them down the road, destroyed them. And, and, and there, now, now God doesn't do any destruction this way these days. It's more spiritually than physically, you know, here in the New Testament. But, but spiritually, God will help you win the battle when you trust him. And it's his battle that he would call you to.
He uses the weakest man from the weakest clan because he, he's going to show people that he does this. I remember when God chose two guys that had no business doing what they were doing. We're trying to find 40 acres of land and, and Pastor John and I, of all people, are the ones who go down to the county to talk to them. And that's when he said, not even God or the Pope. And you know, that man was a Christian who said that. And, and um, he's the one who signed on the permits for the property here for us too. And I think he was happy to sign. I don't necessarily think he was trying to discourage us. I think he was calling it as it was. Unless God shows up. And he said God wouldn't, but, but, but it, it wasn't going to happen. He was recognizing it's this country bumpkin pastor who knows nothing and this guy who's been in the trucking industry for 30 years showing up, they, they don't know they can't do this. I'll just tell them. And you know what? He was right in the natural eye. Except God called two weak dummies. I'm sorry, Pastor John, but you're a dummy too, just like me. To stand up and say, <clears throat> here's what I said to him. Oh, now God's going to have to show you he's big enough to do it. And he did it. When we started the multi-site <clears throat> Uh, churches this past year, uh, I want you to know that it, was, it took me over two years to decide to do this. I was wrestling with God in the first year especially, and I was saying things like this, Lord, we're not even full in our services now where we're at. It doesn't make sense to me. And then I was saying, if we start to work in other locations, Lord, won't that draw down on the resources to build what you're doing here with the high school and these ministries. And these are all things you've thought, you know, I, I actually thought about it, but I was praying about it. And I felt like the Lord said this to me when I was thinking about, you know, what he's doing here. Do you really think I can only do one thing at a time? Wow. See, I was thinking in terms of my ability. I can only do one thing at a time. But he can do more. Well, I'm encouraged today. I believe that kingdom builders and your million dollars going to ministries across the world and, and, and in these cities around us, you, you, gave a, you pledged a million dollars and you're, you're paying your pledges. God bless you for your faithfulness. But I believe that unleash the blessing of the Lord in other areas because I want to announce to you today that we have received the largest pledge in the history of Horizon Community Church recently. There's been a $3 million pledge made for one of the buildings. See, we just decided we can't get them built. It's too much money. Let's just give to missions and trust God. And now God has shown up. Now, now we need a lot more than that. We need twice that to build one building. But God is showing up to say, I'm with you. I have a plan. And, and if people say, Pastor Stan, you're sure good at fundraising. Stop it. Stop it. That's not good for me to hear, and it's not true at all. As a matter of fact, Roger, Pastor Roger showed up and said, a guy made a $3 million pledge. And I said, cool. I didn't do it. God's doing it. And church, I don't want you to miss this. That don't, don't miss that when souls are saved, it's a sign of revival. When the Holy Spirit is doing miracles and empowering, it's a sign of revival. And when resources are flowing like this and gifts are given, the gifts related to the apostles' feet, it's a sign of revival. God is doing something great. Now, 
I don't know why you're not rejoicing, but I'd like you to rejoice with me for a servant of the Lord that said, we will step up God's calling us to give three million and know that God's doing something in the future. Let's thank the Lord for that gift. Can we do it? Now, now, you know, we've been down the road enough to know that a pledge is not the same as a gift, right? It's a pledge. But I will tell you this, it's a very solid pledge and uh, we believe the Lord is, is up to something. I told you a while back that I thought he was moving again and some of these things were gonna start moving um, when, it, when it comes to these buildings and you'll see it down the road. This is, still, this is still a year and a half, two years away, but this pledge is catalyst as we begin to look at uh, some, of, some of these things. And we're not gonna tax you and weigh you down. As a matter of fact, if God calls you to give, he's just gonna use you as a vessel that he'll flow resources through. And, and you're not, you'd never lose anything. But we're not looking to tax the people. We're asking God. And, and we believe God's showing up to do some great things. Has God presented you with a calling? One of the things the Lord told me is, you hold lightly to these people. You know, I take hold of this pulpit when I pray. Say, God, this is your pulpit. I come in this building and pray at night at times. God, this is your building. This is your school. This is your church. These are your people. You're his. And God said, don't, don't hold on to people like they're yours because I feel the Lord's going to raise people up in parachurch ministry and 501c3s. God's going to do things beyond that, that, that we can be an encouragement and a blessing and even give towards them as a church, but we're not going to lead it. God's going to call people to do great things beyond this place around the world. And so today, as I preach this sermon, I remember those things God's been speaking to me for these decades about people that will rise up. Some of you are on the move already saying, God, where are you? And this is an encouragement to you today. Others of you are about to hear from the Lord. Most of you are going to be called to go along with us as we go forward in this great mission to touch the world here in these ministries we talk about in the cities around us as well. But it's all about building the kingdom of God. But here's my question for you. What's he calling you to do? Will you say yes? Will you act on it? He'll use your life. Doesn't make any difference if you're the weakest or the most inadequate. When God says, I will be with you, that means he'll show his greatness through you despite your fears and inadequacy, short, shortcoming and weakness. God's giving an invitation to all of us today to say, will you join in with my mission for your life?